Hi there, it's Brett McGarry, one half of Mackling and McGarry. Greg is away this week after I was away for two weeks. So today on the podcast, I'm happy to report that there's actually some usable stuff that can go into the podcast because I feared that the train would go off the cliff with just me at the helm. But we got it done. Some of the highlights of the show include... A story of my stupidity, which almost led to potentially the, I don't know that it's an exaggeration to say that could have, we could have died situation where my girlfriend and I could have died when we were on vacation. Also, we'll meet with a rising star on the Canadian pop country music scene. Her name, Jade Maya. And then we will learn about the blind golf championships. That's right. The Blind Golf Championships. Didn't know it was a thing. The championships are being held in Winnipeg. And White Shell makes the cut. According to the Canadian Space Agency, one of the best places to stargaze in Canada. You'll hear all that coming up in today's podcast. Mackling and McGarry minus the Mackling. I was away for two weeks. Now Greg's away for a week. My first week, I just stayed in Winnipeg. Second week, went on a little couples retreat with my girlfriend. We went to a place called Barrier Bay Resort, which is about an hour and a about an hour and a half, slightly northeast of the city. It's in the Seven Sisters Falls region. It's off Highway 307. Seven Sisters Falls, by the way. I was wondering the whole time how it got its name. Well, apparently, like uh, much of this province's past, and I'm reading this now from uh, Travel Manitoba. Facebook post from March 2017, and they say that uh, the town is in proximity to Manitoba Hydro's Seven Sisters Generating Station, which was once the main source of employment for its residents and is still the largest hydroelectric dam on the Winnipeg River. But it was it got its name from fur traders, fur traders after a series of seven rapids along the Winnipeg River. So that's pretty cool. So Barrier Bay Resort, wonderful place. Couples retreat, nine different cabins for you to rent. We rented cabin number six. If you're on their website, Chickadee Haven. And that website, again, BarrierBay.com. There's a lake right behind, like the resort's right on the lake, Dorothy Lake, to be specific. And I confess, I am not an experienced person on the water. I've been in a canoe exactly one time. Another time I tried kneeboarding out in the Lactubani region. I was, uh, I think I was 12-ish. I can't quite remember how old I was. But it was with my buddy Curtis. And he warned me that the boat didn't quite have the speed required to pull me out of the water. So I had to, you had to really pull. And I'm, I'm a wimp. I'm a weakling. I have no upper body strength. So I was unable to pull myself onto the kneeboard. And instead, while this thing was dragging me along, I lost my swim trunks. Trunks came off. So it was a full moon for all in the region. I bailed off of the board and went and sheepishly retrieved my trunks. So anyway, I've been in a dragon boat a few times. Used to, used to race with Team Ramrod in the Dragon Boat Festival that would happen in June. But other than that, that's about it. I've been on a cruise. I don't know if that counts. So, Barrier Bay has 
kayaks for you to use. They have a canoe for you to use. They have a boat that you can rent, a motorboat. And they also had a paddle boat, which is funny. That Why do they call it a paddle boat? Shouldn't it be a pedal boat? I mean, I know that you're using pedals to power a paddle wheel. Anyway, so my girlfriend had indicated she wanted to go out on the paddle boat. And this was on Wednesday where we finally made the decision to do it. The day before, the guy staying in the cabin next to us, Ken, Madeline and Ken from Petersfield, they, he, he went out on, it, on a kayak in the late afternoon, and I thought, ah, oh, that sounds fun. We should actually do that. Because up until then, we on Monday, we sat in the pool. And again, if you go to my Instagram, Brett McGarry, you can see me doing a very graceful belly flop. It's funny. I think it's funny. I amuse myself with my stupidity, my childish antics. But the day after that, Tuesday, we just sat on the beach. So all very relaxing stuff. Nothing too adventurous. We decided on Wednesday afternoon, let's go, let's go have an adventure. Let's go try the paddle boat. Now, I should preface this by saying my girlfriend admitted she's not the best swimmer. And as I said, I'm not super experienced. I don't know how to, I'm not good. I'm not, I don't want to say I'm bad at, at water stuff, but I'm, I don't know when it's safe to go out or not. So we go down to the edge of the water, and we're looking at this water. It is windy, so windy, and the waves were strong. The water was just, it was not a calm day on the lake, on Dorothy Lake. So we're standing down there, and in my head I'm thinking, this is a bad idea, this is a bad idea, this is a bad idea. We shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do this. But I didn't want to be, A, the skunk at the picnic who ruins the party, and B, my foolish male pride would not allow me to say, this looks scary. I think we should not do this. I wanted to be brave for my girlfriend who wanted to go out on, on, her, on the paddle boat. She wanted to have fun on the paddle boat. So we went out and we pushed the boat out and she got in and I could tell she was a little bit nervous. And I, <laughs> so as we're trying to pull this or pedal this paddle boat out, I kept saying to her, if you're too scared, we don't have to do this. If you're too scared, we don't have to do this. Hoping she would say, yes, let's turn back. But no, we went out and within, it took all of 30 seconds to realize we were doomed because we were first trying to figure out how to steer it once we got going. It was fun, but then I thought, then I actually came to my senses and said, we're not going to be able to, to put to drive this thing back, to paddle this thing back, because look at these waves. we got to go over these waves coming back. And then I turn around to see how far we've gone, and it's only been like 30 seconds. We're already like 50 yards out from where we shoved off. And I said, we got to turn around because we're not going to make it back. So we turn around, and we're trying. We're pedaling as hard as we can because the waves are rocking this boat and we're moving maybe a foot every 10 seconds. We got tons of exercise in that couple of minutes. But then she looks down to, I'm sitting on the right, she's on the left. And she says, you're taking on water. And to the point where my side of the paddle boat was almost submerged. So I bailed. I jumped out and I said, okay, I'll get out and I'll try to, I'll try to tow us back to where we shoved off from. 
<laughs> well, that didn't work. It took about 30 seconds for me to realize that wasn't going to work because water was coming in on her side. And I said, she said, what do I do? I said, bail, jump out. So she jumped out and I happened to look over and there was a dock, which I thought was a private dock. So I didn't want to use it for some reason. We're in peril. We're, <laughs> we're in danger of being swept away on this paddle boat. But I'm thinking, I don't want to use someone else's dock. But there was this family that just happened to be walking by, this nice family that spotted us, and they waved us over. So we managed to push the boat over to the dock and got out, and they pulled us out, and we pulled the boat, the paddle boat, onto the dock my girlfriend was laughing the whole time because she was nervous. Thank God she was okay. Just thinking about that now really scares me because, like I said, she admits she doesn't really swim all that well. We had life jackets on, of course. But I'm telling you, it was what was meant to be a fun little paddle boating adventure was near disaster. Had we gone any further, we would have had to abandon the, the paddle boat, probably. <laughs> And the, the fine folks, DJ and Erica at Barrier Bay, would have had to go out and get it. Cindy texted, My husband and son helped rescue two gentlemen on Lake Winnipeg on Saturday. Their canoe had capsized far out on the lake. Two people had swam out to help when my husband saw them struggling in the water. My son had the men hold on to his sedu and brought them to shore while my husband helped the other couple flip the canoe and towed it in on his sea dew. Thank goodness the men had their life jackets on and that people were around. Windy day, not meant for inexperienced canoe trips. Cindy, thank you very much for that. And certainly, as I learned, a windy day, not the day for paddle boating at all. It was dumb. Andy says, I was on a course for work in Chicago. After the course, my flight home wasn't until Sunday. I hopped on the train with, a, with another guy from the course to go to a car show on Friday night. We were on that train for a long time and got off at the end of the line, way down in South Side Chicago. A nice gentleman came over and asked where we were going. We told him, and he said, you should have got off 10 stops ago. Now get on that train over there and get the hell out of here. Thank you very much, Andy. And then Joan adds, stupid and stubborn start with the same three letters. I have been guilty of both. We got a, t a text from Tim here. who says, coming back from a wedding in Toronto. We crossed over Windsor into Detroit. Took a wrong turn off the interstate. Ended up in a very bad area of Detroit. Luckily, was pulled over by a trooper who told us we were in the wrong neighborhood. So he guided us back onto the interstate. Another incident, traveling from Winnipeg to Toronto, stopped for gas in Detroit. While I was fueling, the clerk was shot and killed in a robbery. What? So I asked him, I said, good Lord, did you, did you get in your car and take off? He says, I heard the shots, I dove into the car, but I didn't drive away. And then this was the, the funny part. He says, we had exchanged... We had to exchange Canadian money at Shooting Star at par, but they would only give you quarters. So being 19 years old, we were paying for our gas with quarters. So when police showed up within minutes, we gave our statement and offered to pay for our fuel. But when we rolled out the quarters, the officer just said, it's okay. Just continue on your trip. Free gas. But Tim, luckily, 
you're alive, unfortunate, tragic that the clerk was shot. But my goodness, thank you very much for sharing that amazing story. That is from a song called This Girl Don't. Canadian pop country singer Jade Maya has released the third single, that's what it is, This Girl Don't, from the sophomore album Dirt Covered Rhinestone. And you know, sometimes like one of the things I really love about this job is we get to meet all kinds of interesting people. And in this case, this was a couple of months ago already, I got a pitch to speak to someone who's going to be visiting Winnipeg as part of a media tour. And I said, this just sounds way too interesting to pass on. So Jade Maya is here live in studio. Hello, Jade. Hello there. So where are you from originally? <laughs> originally from Lusqueville, Quebec, uh, but Mike Croft, my guitar player, and I uh, flew in from Toronto last night. You flew in from Toronto, and yeah. you're off to, you're, you've already been to places like, I think, Montreal, Ottawa, Calgary, oh, Edmonton. Gosh, we've been everywhere. And you're off to yeah. Saskatoon tomorrow? Off to Saskatoon tonight. Tonight? Fly, fly there tonight. But yeah. you, you're you're not taking the, the most direct way oh, there. Oh, gosh, no. We all, we got stuck on, on a flight with a layover to Calgary at 8.50 p.m., which means we land at midnight in Saskatoon. So um, Mike and I are going to go to the airport early and uh, see what we can do <laughs> with the flight attendants there to get us on an earlier flight. So one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you was first to talk about uh, the latest music video, Dirt Covered Rhinestone, over 1.2 million YouTube views. This was as of, I guess, a few weeks ago. I, don't, I didn't check what the current tally is. You got it. But when you see that number, million, beside your video, how's that feel? Feels really good for a Canadian artist. Feels yeah. pretty good, yeah. I, I mean, I got Stefano Barberis, this amazing director, to film this music video. We filmed. We flew to Vancouver, BC. We got this whole town rented out to film this video, and this town is actually the same town they used to film this show called "When Calls the Heart" on the Hallmark Channel. And I filmed other shows in the city, and uh, I got. I'm so grateful I got the chance to work with this director because he's won multiple awards for Video Director of the Year with the Country Music Association and. CMT and all this fun stuff. And he's shot everybody from George Canyon to Brett Kissel to everybody. So I was very lucky to be in his presence for the day to shoot this music video. So I know that country music is huge uh, across in many parts of Canada, which by the way, it's big here too. Have you ever heard of, or have you ever played Dauphin's Country Fest? I haven't. No, but I heard that it's amazing. Yeah, you could just yeah. try to get in on that. I should. It's a huge party. Uh, but how, what's country music like in terms of reception in Quebec? Because that doesn't oh strike gosh. me as a country place. Oh my gosh. That, no, the biggest country music festival in Canada is in Quebec. Really? Yeah, it's called the Western Saints It, and uh, it is the craziest country music Western festival ever. So we went there last year, and we couldn't get our car in because the the whole place is closed off, and people actually take their horses there. <laughs> yeah, and people actually, they'll fight with the police because the police will want to try to stop them to of drinking on horses, <laughs> but you can't stop somebody from drinking on a horse because it's not a law. <laughs> So, so guys are just like kind of click-clonking with two beers in their hands on their horse. Like, click, click, I'm drinking beer. Click, click, you know, just I, kind of rubbing it in the police officer's face. I'm sorry, police, but I mean, I guess there's still no law on drinking on a horse. So this this festival is the craziest festival. We had the luxury and chance to 
to work there last year and perform, and it was amazing. Another thing uh, that is in your bio here is that you are dedicated to social change and the rights of the LGBTQ community. So what drives your dedication to this social change? You know, every year a new social platform is released or something new is out to hide us behind a screen and conversate with the world. And the more that comes out, the more, I guess, the more courageous we get behind that screen to attack people that are different or attack people that may have a different voice of opinion on certain subjects. So I guess I'm always constantly trying to be that role model for people to say that it's not okay just because you're hiding behind a phone or screen or a computer screen or anything to put anybody down for being themselves. I'm from where my point of observation, I think now, as you pointed out there, the, the trolls who hide from, from their basement, wherever that seems to be every, that is everywhere. And it's because it's become so easy for anybody to just hurl their anger out into the world. But it also seems to me like more people than ever are going out of their way to be supportive yes, and and embrace people for being different and embrace whatever it is that uh, separates us. Would you agree with that? I would, yeah, I would definitely agree with it. I, you know, I still think it's a 50-50 sort of average. Um, it's still, it's still kind of 50 on the positive and 50 on the negative. And I, I mean, every day I still fear for my nieces getting a cell phone who are just turning 12 or 11 and and wanting to have Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. They're all great social platforms because they're great for, um, say, myself. I mean, when I got in the music industry, I love to thank social media for helping me spread the music. Um, but it can also be used for things like putting people down or hurting people and people who aren't really strong enough to handle that kind of criticism. So I think that every person that is wanting to join a social app or any of that stuff should have sort of a warning like that they should be able to handle people that aren't going to be so kind. Canadian pop country singer Jade Maya Mm -hmm. is here as part of a media tour she's doing across the country and how you've got 200,000 followers, 213,000 followers, that number I checked on Instagram. What's your handle, by the way, for Instagram? Jade Maya Amour, J-A-D-E-M-Y-A-A-M-O-U-R. How are people... (laughs) How do they treat you on social media? They're great. You know, honestly, I just I just post music. I talk to the people that are kind, and I respond as much as I can when I'm in long layovers on the plane or skipping breakfast because my stomach is totally growling right now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I love talking to everybody. It's so cool to talk to somebody that's in Calgary or somebody that's in Alberta or some, like everywhere. Everybody just – it's awesome that social media brings us all into one small city almost. So you, on top of being a country singer, uh, a rising star in the Canadian music scene and a social media star and a a warrior for social change, you're also uh, an in-demand model and a popular fitness personality. So where do you find time for all of this stuff? Let's, I guess, focus. Where do you find time for the fitness if you're busy traveling the country and being a country star? Not being a country star, gosh, just first and lovable. Stop it. Um, Well, I just try to stay fit. You got to stay healthy because my body is my instrument. So I have to stay healthy and 
drink my kale juice every day, which is extremely gross. What would you call it? Kale juice. Kale juice. Kale juice. Mm. That's for lunch. Yeah, is it green? It's green as can be. Awesome. Yeah, and it's it's really gross. And I mean, sometimes you just gotta take on the gross stuff. So, and it's good for you, and it keeps you lean, and keeps you healthy, keeps my skin glowing. So. I mean, I find time. You just make time for things that you love doing. So I love being in the music world and I love being healthy. And it just so happens that I was able to do fitness too. So are you, based on what you just said about the kale juice, are you suggesting that a large Slurpee at 2.30 in the morning when I come in for breakfast is, is not advisable? Thing. No, probably not, no. Okay. Um, so again, <laughs> the latest single is This Girl Don't. It's from the sophomore album Dirt Covered Rhinestone from Canadian pop country singer Jade Maya. You have a website. JadeMaya.com. And you can be found on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, all the social, the Everything. internet social medias. Everything and anything, I'm on it. Okay. Well, Jade, thanks for stopping by. We Thank appreciate uh, the visit and congratulations on your rising success. It's really exciting. Thank you so much. And here is some of Dirt Covered Rhinestone. Jade Maya on 680 CJOB. Blind Golf, that's right, Blind Golf Canada's Western Canada Championships are on through Wednesday. So to tell us more, we're joined live on 680 CJOB by Charlotte Penner, who is a sight guide. She has been involved with blind and vision impaired golf for 25 years. Charlotte, uh, good morning and thank you for joining us. Good morning, thanks for having me. So uh, forgive my ignorance on this topic. Uh, Blind golf, how does it work? Well, it works uh, because we're a team. The golfer has a sight guide, and we assist with them setting up, uh, aiming them down the course, and uh, setting up their club. And then we also read putts. The partially sighted golfers, some of them can manage some of that on their own. The totals, totally blind folks, of course, need the guide to lead them from the cart to the tee and aim them and then follow the ball and take them through the uh, 18 holes. So is it, it's basically you line them up and then you just let your, your mechanics of the golf swing do the rest? Exactly. Exactly. And we've found over the years, we always blindfold the pro at the course that we're at. And they usually manage very well. Professional golfers have said that is a good way to practice. It's to set up and then close your eyes and, just let your body do its rhythm. It's what it's supposed to do. Well, there's a joke that some of my friends like to say is uh, <laughs> close your eyes and swing as hard as you can uh, is as sound advice. But it sounds like that's actually a good way, as you pointed out, a good way to practice. It is. It, yes, it, especially you get to feel your body's rhythm and it works very well. We've been There's been some kind of form of blind golf in Canada since 1951. So... This is not very new at all, to, and the world has blind golfers all around the world. Yeah, well, and, and, and like I said, I, I, I forgive my ignorance. I plead full ignorance on this, and I, I think that this is wonderful because uh, golf, despite the fact that I am not good at it, I love it. So if it were, if I were to be stricken in some way with, uh, with a disability, I would be very sad if I couldn't play golf. So I think it's wonderful that exactly. your, your, your organization exists. 
Exactly. This, we are constantly trying to promote this to people because there's lots of people don't know about it. We don't want them to not golf because they've lost their vision, macular degeneration, those kinds of things with age. And we also have some very young people who are born with vision impairment. We're trying to promote them to take it up as a lifelong sport. So the Blind Golf Canada Western Canada Championships are happening yes. right here in Manitoba. Where are they happening? Yes, we're at the Transcona Golf Course. We're having a practice round today, and then our two rounds of the tournament are Tuesday, Wednesday. What time? We, we start uh, tee offs at 11 a.m. And if someone wants to come and and watch us to pl- play and see how it works, of course, please do. We have 21 golfers from right across Canada. Um, most of the golfers, are, we have eight of them from from Manitoba, but we also have representation from just about everywhere in the country. How did you get involved in this? Well, my husband was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, which is a genetic disorder and causes loss of vision. And he was a golfer. And we we were out golfing. His friends were at that point helping him a little bit with what he could see where his ball went. And we were at a golf club, and a young man came around selling tickets, raffle tickets, Grey Cup tickets, I think it was, to promote blind golf. And his friend said, hey, you need to talk to this fellow. And we did in 94. And that's how we got joined up. So, And we've been doing things ever since. We've even traveled to Australia, Tokyo, Italy. So for world tournaments, we've been very, very blessed. Now, golfers, uh, and I can't... I don't know that I can generalize this for all of golfers, but many golfers like myself have uh, fiery tempers and often <laughs> will weave a tapestry of obscenity after a bad shot. I am especially oh, hard on myself. So with the, we're not, the, we're not any different. <laughs> well, and that's what I, and, but is it, it, does the blind golfer then have someone to blame if the shot is oh, bad? Quite often. And we, as with my husband and I, they're quite often married couples. Okay. So it is a very tricky circumstance to learn to leave it on the course. We were married 43 years, so it hasn't, it hasn't affected our marriage. But. Well, that's great to hear, and, and good for you for doing this. I'm just looking at uh, the website is blindgolf.ca if you want to learn more information about this yes. wonderful organization. Um, and uh, Blind Sport Manitoba is also a place you could contact. They could connect you. Oh, Blind Sport Manitoba. Okay, very yep. good. Um, or Manitoba Blind Sports, I think it's listed at. I apologize for that. Okay, well, and you, yeah. if you're listening to this radio station right now want more information, you can just email me, brett at cjob.com, and I can uh, set you up. Yeah, and uh, you can set them up with my phone number even, yes. Okay, wonderful, right. will do. Well, Charlotte, thank you very much for telling us about this. And uh, again, it's at uh, the practice round is today, and then the competitive rounds are tomorrow and Wednesday? Yes, at Transcona. Come watch, come see what it's all about. Charlotte Penner, thank you very much for joining us. Thank we appreciate you, it. Sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Charlotte Penner is a sight guide. She's been involved with blind and vision-impaired golf for 25 years. The Blind Golf Canada Western Canada Championships happening now through Wednesday at Transcona Golf Club. Let's look up to the stars. Are you thinking of doing away some stargazing this summer? 
If so, the Canadian Space Agency says White Shell, the White Shell Provincial Park, is one of the best places to go. The organization has released its list of the best spots across the country to get an unobstructed view of the stars. So to talk about what makes the White Shell a prime location for stargazing, we're joined live on 680 CJOB by Scott Young from the Manitoba Museum Planetarium. Mr. Young, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Brett. How are you? Doing well. How are you? No, not too bad. Good to chat with you again. Yeah, always fun. The White Shell. Uh, yeah. rank, it was rank, I don't know if this is a ranking from first to best, but on looking at this list, uh, it goes. Uh, it has White Shell at number four. Yeah, uh, I think they uh, they went west to east, so they sort of spread it out across the uh, across the country. Oh yeah, I'm just I'm looking at the White map Shell now. Probably higher than that. Okay. Myself. Really? Yeah, I've, been a, I've been to a few of these places. So, so the, the white shell. Uh, what makes the white shell so special? Well, there's a few things. First of all, I mean, it's it's in the part of the province that is, you know, low on population. So you don't have a lot of nearby cities. It's far enough from Winnipeg um, that you can't really see much of the of the light from Winnipeg. You know, even within a hundred kilometers of the city, you can pretty much see the lights from downtown Winnipeg just glowing up into the sky. But it's also that the, the, the park has been fairly proactive in keeping their local lights down. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be away from the city, but if you've got a whole bunch of really bright spotlights shining on all your um, cottages and things like that, that, that uh, creates a problem. So they're really good about the way they light their trails, the way they light all of their uh, facilities. They're nice and shielded, and you're not going to generally find a lot of lights that are sort of shining in your eyes from right across the street or whatever. Are there any spots in the white shell that are better than others? Well, I mean, it, it sort of depends on what your situation is. I, th- I noticed they picked a lot of, of parks where, you know, it's sort of publicly accessible. Um, and there's a lot of spots where basically you can literally just get a campsite anywhere in the white shell and you've got a, a pretty good view of straight up. Um, I like to go to a spot where it's relatively surrounded by trees and, and focus on what's straight up because that way, even if you do have you know, somebody who's got their, their motor home out there and has lights or whatever, you're, you're not disturbed by that. Um, but down at the docks, down on the beach, those are usually the best spots because you've just got this, this glorious horizon. You can see, you know, half the sky or more, and it's just pitch dark. Well, and that actually reminds me of a time where I uh, stayed at a spot a few years ago uh, just down the block from West Hawk Lake. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went down there at night to take a peek, and it was spectacular. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever... I didn't know that there were so many stars out there. You could even see, like, the milkiness of the galaxy. It was unbelievable. Yeah, in fact, if you're, if you're uh, not accustomed to the stars, it can be hard to find even common things like the Big Dipper when you're, when you're out under that many stars because it's just such a different view. And, I mean, West Hawk has got its own astronomical connection, too. It's basically a big meteorite crater that, uh, that was formed millions of years ago and uh, has filled in with water and, and so on. So you're, you're standing on the edge of a crater, kind of like the ones that we see on the moon if you're down at West Hawk. Thank you for confirming that. I was telling my girlfriend that the other day, and she didn't believe me, so now I can say, ha! So I'm um, just looking at the rest of this list here, places like uh, Garibaldi Provincial Park in B.C. Am I, am I saying that correctly? Yep, yep, up in the mountains there near Whistler. It's, uh, when, you, when you get high in the mountains you're getting up above the thickest part of the atmosphere, and that means you're not looking through any kind of smog or water vapor or things like that. That just makes the stars um, easier to see. And, and that location is far away from, uh, from the light pollution as well. I mean, Jasper's on the list. Uh, 
there's a bunch of places that are that are um, just really nice parks that are relatively dark. There's also a few what are called dark sky reserves where they've actually been certified, um, where they have to have special kinds of lighting and there's a certain level of lighting that they're not allowed to exceed. And so those places are just sort of one notch higher. There's one in uh, one in Montreal, and there's actually a couple of them in uh, in Ontario that didn't seem to make the list. It looks like they went one per one per province and territory. And as far as dark sky uh, preserves and festivals, we 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 have one here in Manitoba, don't we? Well, yeah the uh, the the um, Sprucewood Star Party is uh, is something that happens every year in uh, in the fall, and uh, that's over towards. Um, over towards the Carberry uh, Spirit Sands area. And I know that they're working on getting um, Riding Mountain to become a, uh, a dark sky preserve because that's one of the best places uh, if you're willing to drive a little bit farther. That's a great place to go and look at the stars as well. What is a dark sky preserve? Well, a dark sky preserve is basically just a, a park that has made the commitment that they're going to keep their lights um, you know, friendly to people looking at the stars. They, they kind of realize that when you're out in nature, half of your view is the sky and half of your view is the the regular natural world that most people are familiar with. And so they want to try and preserve those areas because as cities get larger and larger, and I, you know, working at the planetarium, we, we see this all the time. There's people that come in that have never seen more than a dozen stars or so. You see the, the, the bright ones from the city, but you just never see them. And, and you, because of that, you just don't pay attention to that whole half of the natural world around you. So the, the idea behind the dark sky preserves and reserves is a, is a way to sort of capture that and make it accessible to folks that, uh, you know, you have to travel a little bit, but at least it, it captures that kind of view that we used to have all the time. And actually, you know what, I'm just remembering now, uh, in mid-June, we just had a chat. Uh, it was the Dark Sky Preserve Stargazing Party in Stuartburn. And we also learned that that not only does the lack of light or artificial light uh, help with looking at the stars, but it actually helps promote wildlife and plant life that depends on darkness. Yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of studies coming out now that, you know, 24-hour lighting is bad, not just for birds and, and animals, but for people as well. And so that's that's something that's becoming, you know, as we go to LED lights and, you know, here in, in Manitoba, hydro is is relatively inexpensive compared to other places. We, we tend to use a lot of light and that might not be good for us. And, uh, you know, the, the, the body, the human body and the brain evolved under the situation of, you know, it being dark at night. And we're taking that away in our city lives and that may be having long ranging effects that we're just learning about now. So just looking at this list, 13 places in total. Have you been to all of these places? No, no. Some of them are pretty remote. I, I haven't been all that far north. So the, the one in Iqaluit, uh, you know, haven't been to. Um, but uh, I have been to uh, the one in Nova Scotia. I've been out to uh, the, the one on, uh, on PEI and uh, some of the eastern ones. The one in, in Ontario is kind of interesting because... I mean, there are several really good parks in the sort of north of Toronto area that uh, are actually pretty dark and it's sort of in the Muskoka region and, and things like that. Um, so I've been to a bunch of those, but I haven't been to the one that's listed here. Are there any spots in the world or any countries that are so heavily dense or their population is so heavily dense that they, uh, they, they don't get to enjoy this kind of stuff that we do in Canada? Oh, absolutely. There, there's, a, there's a great NASA image um, of the Earth at night. Basically, the weather satellites taking pictures on clear nights um, as they go around the Earth, and they've pieced it together. So you basically see all of the electrical light uh, on the planet. And there are areas that are just so full of that, 
um, that local light pollution that if you lived there, if you didn't travel, you would never see the stars. I mean, a lot of Europe is like that. A lot of the east coast of the uh, U.S. is like that. A lot of um, California and sort of right in and around um, even the Toronto area. You don't have to drive too far from Toronto to get a decent view of the skies. But if you live in downtown Toronto or downtown Montreal or something like that and don't leave it, you're you're thinking, wow, there might be there might be a dozen or two dozen stars out there. And of course, the universe is so much bigger. Well, Scott, uh, thanks for providing your insight on this. We very much appreciate it, as always. Always a pleasure, Brett. Scott Young is with the Manitoba Museum and Planetarium. He is a frequent contributor and a good friend of this radio station. Once again, if you want to read about this, you can go to globalnews.ca. The headline is, Here are the best places to stargaze in Canada this summer. And... White Shell Provincial Park makes the cut for Manitoba. And again, I was at the edge of West Hawk Lake looking out at the sky on a clear night, and it was one of the most spectacular things I have ever seen. It is not hyperbole to say it took my breath away. It was just magnificent. So if you can find a nice spot in the White Shell to check it out, that'd be great. And if you can't get out there, just get out of the city and find a darker spot. Even I remember going out to... My buddy's cabin in Winnipeg Beach. That's also a great spot to look up and see a lot more than you're not accustomed to. I'm Brett McGarry. Greg Macklin back next week behind the glass. Jerry, it's your last week. We didn't even talk about that. We'll have to talk about that tomorrow. And Shen Lee Vidal, thanking you for listening to CJOB. And then-